podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle, and today we've got another awesome guest, Ronnie Bergener. Welcome to the show, Ronnie. Thanks, Kyle. All right. (laughs) Happy to be here. (laughs) Thanks. All right, Ronnie, uh, let me introduce you really briefly, and then we'd love to hear about some of your background. So Ronnie is a biological and chemical engineering grad with what you describe as dog years of experience in your first yes. four years of tech. So, yeah, well, that's how my mentor describes it. Okay. And so I just stole it from her. You know, sometimes <laughs> that helps to have somebody else write your elevator pitch yeah. for you, you know, because they're willing to say things you maybe wouldn't say. So that's I, where that came I, from. I love that. I think that's a great way to describe it. <laughs> and you currently are an engineer with a focus in data pipelines, data analysis, capacity planning, and also a podcast host, and with experience in, like we mentioned, technology, telecommunications, and startups. So that is a very fascinating background. And why don't you tell us more about yourself? Okay. So basically, um, I've been with my fiance since we were in high school. And so he's a year older than me. He graduated high school, went to college at CU, And then I finished high school, graduated, went to college at CU. And when you're a woman in high school, at least for women my age, if you're good at math, people are like, you've got to study engineering. You'll definitely get a job. It'd be so easy for you to get a job. People love women engineers. So I'm just like, whatever, that sounds good. So go to college, study engineering. I'm studying environmental engineering. My fiance at the time, boyfriend studying chemical and biological engineering. And he starts talking shit like, oh, am I allowed to say shit on this? There's no, there's no rules here. So, okay. (laughs) He's talking shit saying that, um, his major is the hardest major. It's so much harder than environmental engineering. And I'm the type of person that if you're going to say something like that to me, I'm going to the office and switching my major like today. (laughs) I wasn't married to anything. So I went and I was like, I'm studying chemical engineering because my boyfriend thinks it's so hard. So switch to chemical engineering. Realized my junior year that that probably wasn't a good way to pick a major and that you probably shouldn't decide something like that based off spite. But I was like 20. And so I just went for it. So junior year, I basically have a massive like quarter life crisis. I'm like, I don't like chemical engineering. I don't want to work in oil and gas. I don't want to work in pharmaceuticals. This is terrible. I wanted to quit. And my parents were like, you have got so close, just finish it. And then you can figure out what you want to do. So I finished. I was depressed. Didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I remember I remember sitting in my senior seminar class and they had guests come in and talk about their careers. And there was this one woman that came in and talked about her career making printer ink as a chemical engineer. And I was like, oh, my it made me want to just end everything. So that was terrible. But I finished graduating and I work at a restaurant where I loved working for like another year. And then I was like, okay, it's probably time for me to like put on my big girl pants, my big girl money pants and get a job in tech. So I spent a lot of money on this degree. So I have no idea what I want to do. I'm thinking that I have like no options. I'm really down on myself. And that's when I met my mentor, Wendy, who I now do the podcast with. 
And she kind of started asking me like, what did you like? What did you not like? And I was like, well, I really liked Excel. <laughs> she was <laughs> like, okay, that's a little weird, but maybe you could be like a business analyst or a financial analyst. And I said, okay. So I applied for a financial analyst job. Um, and Wendy referred me to that, you know, she had a connection there. I ended up getting that job. So this is where like the dog years of experience come in because that job, I mean, I wanted to start the podcast like when I first started that job, because I was just so happy that Wendy had given me all this advice to even get the job that I was like, that's enough material for a podcast alone. And then the universe was like, no, here comes way more material. (laughs) (laughs) So I had a lot of challenges in that job with like sexism and being underpaid, this, that, and the other thing. Um, end up leaving and going to Comcast, actually get fired from Comcast, which is another story we could get into, go to a different startup called Ibotta, um, dead set. Again, this is like my spite motivation, dead set on getting my Comcast job back, get my Comcast job back. And now I'm at Comcast and have been there for a little over a year. Okay. Well, yes. Wow. Uh, that's a long winded bio, but that's my and- deal. And super, super fascinating. Okay. So let's, and I, I want to touch on a number of points that you made, cause I, I think this is just super, super fascinating. You, you started out in a, a major or, or an area of study that you just did not like, and were not uh, passionate about, and frankly, it sounded like you kind of hated and <laughs> didn't, didn't really know what to do with, um, yeah. until you found, um, kind of a, a mentor or, or somebody to kind of help point you towards oh, some yeah. things that, that helped set you on a, on a path towards something that you enjoyed more. So tell us more about kind of that journey of maybe finding somebody to help maybe pull on some of the, the areas of interest for you. So what was it like finding a mentor in in the industry or at least somebody who could help start to to point you in a direction of like uh, you know, where you could get into some things that you that you liked you know and and you you mentioned her name was Wendy where did you find her and and how did she start to help you get out of this like you know chemical engineering ink print printer cartridge <laughs> path that could have been disastrous could have been disastrous yeah. could have been a total disaster Yeah. Um, so I met her, um, well, okay. So the reason after, um, I left the restaurant I was at, I thought that maybe I wanted to teach math because I've always loved math. So I was like, well, maybe I'll just teach math. That'll, That'll be what I do. So I was actually at a coffee shop with a woman that somebody connected me with who was a math teacher. And she was kind of saying like, oh, I don't know if I would do it if I was you. I would maybe try and work in the industry for a little bit. And then if you want to teach later, you can. And so I was having this conversation with her when Wendy walked in and Wendy happened to know her. So I met Mm -hmm. Wendy at a coffee shop, basically. And this woman was like, you need to talk to Ronnie. She is lost. (laughs) (laughs) And so I set up time to talk to Wendy. And I had had a lot of coffees with a lot of different like potential mentors Mm -hmm. before Wendy. And I think like what made the difference is that my first coffees with all these other people, I wasn't really vulnerable about the space that I was actually at. Like I didn't really open up about how lost I was. I didn't really say like that 
but I didn't really want to emphasize that I was struggling. I was just kind of like, oh, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do next. But with Wendy, I was just laid it out all out on the line. I think I even teared up a little and I was like, I just don't know what to do with my life. I feel like my options are limited. I feel like I shouldn't have stayed at the restaurant for a year after graduating, blah, blah, blah. Totally vulnerable, laid it all out there. And that made Wendy want to help me. And also she knew what I needed help with because I just told her everything. And she was also the first person that was asking me, well, what did you like? She was like, there had to be some things that you liked. She's like, you're looking back on it now, really negative, but there has to be some things. Mm -hmm. And she also just opened my eyes to the fact, like, I like to think that your options of jobs you could get is like, it's like when you go to Starbucks and you look at the Starbucks menu and there's like 10 things on the Starbucks menu, but the amount of things you can actually order from Starbucks is like 10,000. Yeah. And I think that's what it's like when you're looking for a job in your head, you only have maybe like five jobs that you are qualified for or five titles. I mean, not jobs, five titles, Mm -hmm. but in reality, there's all these different companies doing all these different things, especially in tech where your experience is applicable in a really unique way. And there's so many more opportunities than you see, especially when you're first starting your career. So Wendy kind of opened my eyes to that because I would have never applied to be a business analyst or a financial analyst if she didn't tell me that she thought I could do that. That's really, really interesting. So having somebody as a mentor or a guide can really kind of like you said, open up some of the the doors for you or at least open up some of your perspective. So um oh, yeah. you know initially uh you know Wendy your mentor was able to kind of help open up this potential opportunity for you and help point you in this initial direction. What have been some of the other things that a mentor has helped you with or other ways that you see mentors being beneficial, especially early on in your career? Yeah, I think figuring out what you want to do. And also they just help. Like when I first started my career and even sometimes now I just have a flair for the drama and everything's (laughs) like so dramatic. Like every little email, like, especially when you first start your career, every little email you send, every Slack you send, every email you get, every meeting you have is like this, everything just feels like such a huge deal. And when you have a mentor who's had a lot of experience under their belt, they just help you kind of like take a step back and look at the big picture. And like even that financial analyst job, my first job, I didn't really like doing that, but I wasn't panicked about that in the way that I was about not liking my manager because I had Wendy there to be like, okay, well, let's sort through what you do like and what you don't like. And let's think about what maybe the next step would be and talk about what you like about the company and what you don't like about the company. Is it the leadership? Is it the location? Is it how much money you're making? Is it the size of the company? All these different things, just helping you sort through all this, like a therapist almost, <laughs> but for your career, I think is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say about finding the right mentor is it's also kind of like dating. I think sometimes people like will see somebody at a, do a talk or something and be like, oh, I would love if that person was my mentor, but then they have coffee with them. Maybe it just doesn't quite click. And that's okay. There's going to be a lot of people that you click with that you don't click with. And just because they have like 30 more years experience or they do something really cool that you're interested in doesn't mean that they're going to be a great fit for you. Like there's a lot of stuff that has to fit personality wise. I think, I think that's a really good point that a lot of us can overlook. 
Um, mm-hmm. I know early in my career too, that was something that I probably, I didn't realize initially, like y- you feel, I know I felt early on a lot of pressure to like make it work with yeah. like certain people or mentors or, or some, or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's a lot like dating where it just, you don't want to force it. And it's like, if it, if it's, if it's going to work, it is. And sometimes you just have to go through a number of different people in order to find like the right fit. And yeah. there's lots of really, really good experienced people out there. And that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be the right mentor for you. And yeah. it's nothing against anybody in particular. It's just a matter of like finding the right fit. And, yeah. you know, there's going to be lots and lots of good experienced people who may not make the right mentor for you in particular. Right. They'll be a great mentor for somebody else. And just going through and meeting <laughs> and making sure that it's, there's the right fit there. And yeah. I remember. And you tell them, let's just be friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be like super weird. You know, it's no, just like, Hey, it doesn't. it doesn't, you know, this, this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't the right fit. And you were, you can still get advice and that sort of thing from, right. from somebody periodically, but it's not like that uh, more, in-depth mentor relationship where you're, you're working with them regularly. It's more, it becomes more of a periodic advice or, you know, you kind of touch base with them and, and get some advice or that sort of thing. But you, Mm -hmm. you get more, you work more closely with a mentor more regularly and Mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that you're looking for. So it's definitely, yeah, that's, it's something to keep in mind because it, if it may feel weird, especially early in your career, your career, as you try and find that right fit. I know I went through that exact same thing early in my career and I mm-hmm. uh, felt, I felt very, very self-conscious about it. Like when it wasn't working, I'm like, Oh no, what, what should I do? Like, do I need to just like make this work or let's meet or, for coffee twice a week instead of once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like opposite of what you should do. Exactly. Rather than like, let it go. You're like, Oh no, I need just, to yeah, let it go. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah but just, when you do find someone that you click with, I mean, it's awesome because eventually that relationship just becomes a friendship, which is like the best part of finding a really good mentor is now, now you have a friend. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and you kind of know it and you just like keep working more closely and and getting that advice and and getting the help that you need. And yeah, like, like you said, well, and it becomes a two way relationship in ways that you don't expect. Like that definitely was my relationship with Wendy. It it started out with her, you know, helping me, but I got the advice early in my career that like any networking event you go to or any mentorship you're pursuing, like you should think of it as a two way street. You don't want to just be a taker. You want to be a giver. And when you're looking for a mentor, it's not going to be obvious how you're going to be a giver at the beginning, but eventually as that relationship develops, you will be a support system in a way that you weren't anticipating, which is a really neat thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about you know, how you've engaged in particular with, with Wendy, your mentor, like what have been some of the interactions that you've had? And especially as that mentoring relationship grew and developed and you, you kind of alluded to it, uh, it's become more of a friendship and has even developed, I guess, spoiler alert into a podcast (laughs) that you guys do together. So tell us more about that. 
Yeah. So, um, when I first met Wendy, you know, it was definitely a one-way relationship, like I said, but I remember after my first coffee with her going home, I lived with my parents at the time and I went home and I remember telling my mom, Oh my God, I just met like the most amazing woman. We had a really like good conversation. I think she really wants to help me. And my mom was like, do everything she says when you say you're going to do it. She's like, follow through and follow the advice. She's like, even if it doesn't really make sense to you, the point of having a mentor is that they're probably going to have you do some stuff that you wouldn't think of yourself because they're the mentor. (laughs) And so I said, okay. And everything Wendy asked me to do, I did. And then when I got my first job, I remember being like, I have to thank you. I'm, I'm taking you out to lunch. And she like thought we were going to go out to a nice lunch. And I was, it's my first job. I'm making like 40 something a year. I'm not exactly rolling in it. And so I was like, I'm taking you to Panera bread. (laughs) So we went to Panera bread and I was thanking her and stuff. And she goes, honestly, I have people who pay me for career coaching services that don't do everything I tell them to do. And they're paying me and you did everything and you weren't even paying me. And I said, well, that's because my mom said that I had to. <laughs> and she was like, well, that's good advice. You got a good mom. And so that's kind of, you know, another piece of advice I would say is that do, if you find someone you do click with, actually take the advice and follow through and do what you say you're going to do. Cause that'll make that person want to keep, you know, helping you. Um, but uh, after I, I just enjoyed spending time with her so much. And I basically wanted to share all the advice she had given me with more people. So that's when I pitched the idea of us doing the podcast. But the original idea was, I was like, you need to have a podcast. I'll edit it for you and produce it and whatever. And she was like, I'm not doing it if you're not doing it. And I was like, okay. And I was like, it's actually a pretty neat idea because I don't know any podcasts that have hosts that are like 30 years apart that aren't related, you know, like there's, it's a really intergenerational thing that you don't see a lot. So I was like, that's kind of cool. And we have different perspectives. I'm like, have the entry level perspective. She has the, you know, boss lady VP perspective. And so we just kind of started doing it. And I was like, I think if we just keep doing it and keep doing it, keep learning, don't quit. It's eventually it's going to succeed. And so we've been doing it for four years now and, um, have almost a hundred episodes. Nice. So it's been good. That's yeah. That's very nice. And what is it called? It's called Big Girl Money. Big Girl Money. Okay. Yeah. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. uh, Yeah. To that podcast. It was originally called Undervalued. Okay. And then we had to change the name to Big Girl Money, which is another story and another learning lesson from (laughs) that Wendy gave me. But yeah, Big Girl Money. Big Girl Money podcast. It's a great podcast. I was listening to it uh, just this week. It's got some some really good episodes. I was listening to one about sprint planning. We were talking about it before we started recording this episode as well. So definitely check that one out. Awesome. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some of your work experience because you mentioned as well that getting started, especially in the tech industry, you know, experiencing, you know, some of the the bias and discrimination and, you know, being undervalued, like you mentioned on the podcast name and, and underpaid Tell us more about what that was like and some of your experience, especially starting out early in your career. Yeah. So my first work environment I was in was just terrible, honestly, from this type of perspective. And the sad thing about that being your first experience is that you think that's going to be your experience 
in the entire industry for the rest of your life. This is me going back to like my dramatic <laughs> tendencies. So, um, my first, but the, I had Wendy there to kind of like snap me out of it and be like, that's not the way it is. But my first job, I was a financial analyst on a team of like 20 to 30, um, other analysts. And it was very much like finance bro culture, but this was my first job. So I didn't really know like what was normal, what was not normal, what was okay. What was not, I was like, barely, I wouldn't even have called myself a feminist at that point. So I was just like, had a hard time digesting all these things that were happening. <laughs> um, but the long story short is that we were broken out into different regions for the financial analyst work we would do. So I would do the analysis for one region, another team would do a different region, and we'd all come together to make the quarterly earning supplements mm -hmm. for this company, which is a publicly traded company. So that was like the entire point of my job. So I was on one region and my uh, boss ended up leaving and my coworker ended up leaving. So I ended up doing this kind of all by myself. I didn't have any finance experience whatsoever. Like in retrospect, I should not have been hired for this job. So I'm here trying to figure this out by myself. So I call my buddy who's uh, my college buddy who had studied finance. I was like, you have to bring me your textbooks. <laughs> he was like, okay, I'm coming. So he like drove over and brought me a bunch of his textbooks. And I was like highlighting stuff, like trying to figure out what the hell a balance sheet was, what the hell a PL was. So I ended up figuring it out. And we have our first, and halfway through this quarter, another person was hired and another woman. So now I was, I had two, it was two of us and we happened to be on the same team. So the quarterly earning supplement comes around and we have our first meeting to review it with the CTO, which is a really big meeting. It's like the meeting that we've done all this work for. And I don't get invited to the meeting, but all of my male coworkers do and all of their male interns do. And I have an intern who's a woman also. I think they just gave me all the women. They're like, she's a woman, you're a woman, you guys all work hang out. Um, and me and my team didn't get invited. And so I was like, that seems weird. Like these stupid interns are just dicking around all day playing ping pong, get to go. I don't get to go. So um, I talked to Wendy about it and she's like, you need to say something. So we have a meeting to review that meeting. And I basically said, hey, am I going to be able to attend the next meeting? And my boss at the time said, yeah, you can come if you don't type too loud with your long lady nails. And I was like, what is happening? I was like, okay, I might not know what's okay. It's not okay, but I know that one's not okay. So um, I had a big hubbubaloo about that. End up in the Thunderdome, which is what I call like meetings with HR because I have had so many bad experiences with HR. Uh, just have a big long saga at this company. Find out I'm being underpaid. This, that, and the other thing. Wanted to rage quit so many times, but Wendy like helped me hang in there until I could find another job. Um, but every job I've had since then has had some issues with, you know, some of that same stuff, but none has been as blatantly bad as that was. But in a way, I'm kind of glad I went through that because it definitely shaped like who I am as a person, shaped how I approach work, how I think about work, and um, also just made me aware of so many problems that not only women, but like minorities, people with disabilities, whatever it is, have at some of these cultures that are just insane in corporate America, especially in tech. Yeah. So I was pretty sure I wanted a podcast before that experience. And then after that experience, I was like, okay, we definitely need to do the podcast. <laughs> I just, I keep shaking my head at that. It's so terrible. But 
Unfortunately, not that surprising. Um, yeah. So what what have, have been some of the main things that you have taken both from that experience and from some of your other experiences in order to, I guess, both learn from it and to help others learn from it as well? Yeah. One of my main takeaways from the first, that first job is I like took so much of that personally and took so much of that home with me. And it made me have like, for the first time in my life, really bad problems with anxiety and depression and just my overall health. I like took so much of that, just carried it around with me every day and harbored so much anger about it and made it so much about me. And I learned throughout that process that it's not really about me personally. It's those people's problems, you know, and that doesn't need to impact my confidence. And that doesn't need to impact the way I view the world. I mean, it even made me like I was at a point where I was dealing with all these like microaggressions and all this bullshit that I basically was walking around, like waiting for somebody else to say the wrong thing, waiting for people to hurt my feelings, looking for things to offend me. And that's like, no way to live at all. It's terrible to live that way, but it's kind of like a defense mechanism you put on when you're in that type of environment. And so I basically learned just to kind of like shed that armor a little bit and that it's okay if something hurts my feelings, but to remember that's not about me and I don't have to let this make it so that now I'm making assumptions about everybody else. And that was like a really big thing for me when I went to my next job. I was like, I want to have this job with like a clean slate. I don't want to be like walking into a meeting where I'm only the only woman there already assuming that it's going to go bad and already assuming something's going to, somebody's going to say something to me. Like I basically learned that there's a difference between like awareness of that type of stuff and then being on the hunt for Mm -hmm. that type of stuff. And I didn't want to be on the hunt anymore. I just wanted to be aware. Because that stuff shouldn't have to impact me so much. That's not fair. So. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, You mentioned, you know, Wendy kind of helping you not rage quit as much as you would have (laughs) wanted to and, and and probably had a right to in, in many of those circumstances. Uh, What advice did she give you and what advice would you give others in a similar situation? Or even if it wasn't as bad, you know, dealing with some of the same things that maybe you dealt with or have dealt with in other places. Yeah. I think it's so much of, uh, like this two shall pass type of mentality that Wendy really helped me have just rem- like, cause when you're in that type of situation in that type of headspace, you think it's going to last forever and that you're going to be at that company forever, that you're never going to find another job, whatever. And she really just helped me see that like, okay, every day we just need to take one step forward towards the next place. So maybe, in one day, and it's not beating yourself up either for not getting everything you need to get done. Like maybe in one day you workshop your for 30 minutes. It's like, okay, that's great. That's one step forward towards the next job. Or maybe you set up coffee with somebody at a company you really like. That's perfect. That's one step. And eventually you will be in that different place and it's temporary. And Wendy really like had to remind me of that, you know, and my family, my friends, like my mom, of course, like I love my mom. So my mom was definitely helpful with that too. Just remembering that those types of situations aren't going to be there forever, I think is huge. Yeah. And what do you look for 
in, I guess, other company cultures? And what yeah. do you hopefully look for, I guess, going forward to make this not as big of a problem or to hopefully illuminate this as a problem right. in the <laughs> in the near future? Yeah, I think just looking out for like red flags, because, well, first of all, you have to ask bigger questions in your interview process than like, oh, what are your diversity and inclusion initiatives? Because every company has one. It doesn't mean they give a shit about it. It just means that they have it. And just being on the lookout for like any little red flag, like don't ignore that type of stuff. I mean, in my first interview for that first job, the guy interviewing me asked if I was married and if I was planning on having kids. I should have like been like, okay, red flag, but you justify it because you really want the job. So you're like, oh, maybe he's just curious about my personal life. You know, you make up an excuse for it because you don't want to have to walk away from that opportunity. So looking out for the red flags and just asking the right questions in the interview process. I think what I learned is that so much of a company's environment comes like filters down from the top. And if the people at the top don't give a crap about how their employees feel about inclusivity, about diversity initiatives. Like if they don't genuinely care about that stuff, it's not going to filter down to the bottom. So I think a really good question to ask is like, what has the CEO done in the last like quarter to get involved with some of the diversity and inclusion initiatives? Because if he or she is just setting it up and letting someone else run it and they're not actively involved, then they probably don't actually care you know, that type of thing. Those are really, really good points. It definitely starts with a lot of the leadership. I've definitely found that too. What yeah. they, what they care about and what they're doing, because they mm-hmm. can, they can talk a lot about things, but if they are like, kind of like you mentioned earlier, like super bro culture or like bro mindset, even today, like that will filter all the way down throughout the culture. And it's crazy because, and when you're entry level, you might not even see the CEO or, you know, hardly ever interact with them, but they affect your work life so much like them caring, them caring about that stuff's really important for you personally, way more than I realized when I started my career for sure. Yeah. 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 Last question on that, you know, how, how have you dealt with and how do you deal with both good managers and and probably more so with bad managers in your career. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. This is a tough one because I feel like I haven't mastered this yet. <laughs> but I've had some really, really good bosses. Um, I actually had my favorite boss ever. I actually had towards the end of my time at that first job, mm-hmm. which was crazy because I had like my favorite boss ever in my least favorite job ever. <laughs> But um, one thing that I wish I had done with, I don't don't really talk to him anymore. And I kind of lost touch with him. He's not really on LinkedIn um, and I don't have his phone number. And I, so when I left that job, I was like so happy to get out of that environment that I just wanted to leave it all behind. Even though in reality, I did have some good connections and I had a really good boss. I wish I would have kept in touch with him and those people. So I think that's one thing on the boss note is if you do have a really good manager, like keep in touch with them because you never know when you might end up working for them again or even with them. Yeah. And with the bad bosses, I feel like it's, it's just, it comes down to like the vulnerability thing again. Like I think anytime I've gotten through to a bad boss, it's because I didn't, I told them how things were making me feel more than just telling like the story of something that happened. Mm-hmm. Being like, it made me feel this type of way and feeling this type of way makes it really hard for me to do a good job. 
that type of thing. And I think that when you say something like that, people, uh, have to take you seriously, you know, cause nobody wants their employee. Most bosses don't want their employees to feel bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. I totally, totally agree with that. I, I want to pull on that, uh, that really good manager thread just a little bit. Like what, what have you found that makes a really good manager? Like what, what were some of the things that made that really good manager, a good manager? Yeah, I think that manager, his, my favorite thing about him is he was super, super direct, Mm -hmm. which I actually didn't like at first. I was (laughs) like, you're kind of hurting my feelings, but then we kept going. And I actually really like valued that about him because it opened up space for me to be direct with him. Mm -hmm. And that's the most like back and forth I've ever had with the boss. I think it's really hard to get your relationship with your boss to a place where you can give each other feedback without anybody getting defensive or having their feelings hurt. And like, I feel like one of the number one things that any good boss does is look for feedback. Like my favorite, anybody that does anything is my favorite because they're constantly trying to be better and they don't act like they have it all figured out. I think the same thing goes for a boss. Like you want your boss to constantly be looking to improve and see how they can be a better boss for you. But you don't, aren't really going to get that type of feedback from your employees. If you don't work on being approachable and the employees don't trust, you're not going to like lose your shit when you say something <laughs> bad about them type of thing. So it's been like my biggest pet peeve in my career lately is I have like these skip levels with people above me and they're like, my door's always open. Any feedback? It's like, I don't know you. I meet with you like twice a year. You think I'm going to give you honest, candid feedback right now? We don't have a relationship. We don't have any trust. You have to kind of like build that type of thing to get the feedback, to keep improving. And I think that's what that boss really did. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense and, and kind of goes with the other thing that you were saying on building trust through like that openness and even a little bit of vulnerability, like admitting Mm -hmm. that, you know, there is that we all make mistakes and that, you know, I, maybe I, as a manager am am imperfect and here's, here's some of the ways and here's, you know, maybe here's something I'm looking for feedback on and just like being open, making that openness kind of a two way street and having that directness so that it is just a a relationship that can be open and direct and having being vulnerable in both directions both as an employee and a manager so that you can, you can have that candid conversation and get feedback and give feedback in a, I think admitting when you make mistakes is, is a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And not very many bosses do like my favorite boss in that job would be like, well, I kind of fucked that up. He would say (laughs) something like that. And you'd be like, well, it's kind of nice to hear that you, you don't think you're perfect. And also he would talk about his personal life a lot which I thought was really nice because it kind of like made room for me to talk about my personal life. You know, he'd always talk about like his daughter and things he was doing with her that weekend, or he'd like have to go home early to pick her up from school or something like that. And he wouldn't make up some excuse for why he had to do that. He would just say he was doing that even though he wasn't even in an environment that supported that he still was like, this is my life and this is what I got to do. And that left space, you know, for me to do the same thing. So, yeah. 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 No, that makes Love a lot. bosses like that. Yeah, that that's really good. Totally agree. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. What, what is the best advice that you would give somebody early in their career? Kind of going back to the, like everything being 
so serious, not everything's so serious. And it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to screw things up. It's okay to try things. Like your first job or even your second job or even your third job are not going to be the perfect jobs for you. You'll probably hate them, honestly. (laughs) But if you're aware and you remember that it's just temporary and that you're in this like exploratory phase, you can kind of have fun with it and you can learn things that you do like and things you don't like. And every next job just needs to be a little more of what you do like and a little less of what you don't like. Just keep repeating that pattern and eventually you'll end up in a really good spot, I think. And just try different things, like be a little bit of a social butterfly, get to know people doing different things and, and don't, don't tell yourself that you can't do anything. Let, let somebody else tell you you're not qualified for something. Don't be closing doors on yourself, especially when like a lot of these jobs, when you first start your career are entry level. And a lot of people that do them also don't have experience in them. So you can try them out and be at the same place as somebody else. I think, I think, I think that's perfect advice and it's so great. Honestly, like I'm, I feel like I'm almost like 15 years into a career and I'm still like exploring and honestly, like for me, it's still learning and everyone is just like a little bit more and it will probably be like that for an entire career. I would imagine. I don't I honestly hope I was probably the exact same way early on, like far too serious and far too much like far too serious it's uh you know i gotta i gotta take this really seriously i gotta be like really all in and i've gotta just like you know be heads down and make this like um you know this is gonna be it and that sort of thing and no it's this isn't gonna be it this isn't gonna be especially nowadays but even back then like it's not gonna be like your forever seat no like this is this is a chance for you to learn about you, about the, about different industries and about what you want to do just as much as college and do it and then learn and move on to like the next one and then the next one. And that's the way. And don't be so hard on yourself. I was so hard on myself when I first started my career. It's like so silly. It's like, this is not that important. (laughs) It's just work. You know what I mean? Wendy says we spend way too much time at work, not to have fun. And I think that's that's a good phrase to remember for sure. Yeah. Yeah. On a more morbid note, my fiance says, anytime I'm like taking something too seriously at work, he's like, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow and they would just keep cruising. (laughs) They wouldn't skip a beat. So why are you like getting so upset about this? You know, it's not a, it's not reciprocated by that company. And that's like sad. And I don't really like to give that advice because it's a little dark, (laughs) but I think the underlying theme is true of like, we take ourselves way too seriously. And the next day there could be a reorg or you could get laid off or your project you've been working on could be pulled out from under you. So don't make it your whole life and don't tie your entire worth into that job or that project. That's not healthy. Totally. Unless it's your own business, then maybe that's healthier. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Mar- marginally healthier, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> still, it's don't, don't tie your, your whole worth to your work no. because it no. really could at any time be pulled yeah. out from under you. And right. if, if that's what you've tied your worth to, then that could be pretty devastating. So that could be devastating. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And life just happens in like seasons, I think. Yeah. This like Wendy and I talk about this a lot too. There's going to be seasons where you're feeling on top of it. You're super productive. Your creativity's flowing. 
you're killing it. And there's going to be seasons where maybe you're going through a little depression or maybe you got something personal going on. Maybe your dog died and you're sad and you're not going to have the most productive few months, you know, like nobody is on a hundred percent all the time. And if we try to be, it's not going to be sustainable for our entire careers. Like I got to the point where I was feeling like I was burnt out. I'm fucking 27 years old. If I'm getting burnt out at this, that's not going to be good. You know, we, we can't be doing that to ourselves. And when we wouldn't treat anybody else like that either, it's kind of the funny thing. No. Like we would never have as high of expectations for any of our colleagues or our bosses or our employees as we do for ourselves sometimes. Yeah. You're, it's 100% true. Like you, if somebody was having a tough time, you would literally look at them and tell them like, just take some time, like get, get your mind right. And, you know, come back when you're, when you're feeling better, but that's the same advice that you should give yourself. Like, yeah, take a little bit of time, get your mind right. And, you know, get back at it when, when you're feeling like more like you can. So definitely don't be too hard on yourself and definitely like when I'm, when I'm feeling creative and on top of it, like I love to just go at it as much as I can, but that's, if I was like that all the time, I just wouldn't be sustainable. And so like when you're feeling it, like go for it. And when you're not like, you just, you, you do the best you can, but you, you're not going to be at it a hundred percent all the time. That's been one of the like coolest things about COVID. I feel like with like work culture in general to find like a silver lining for COVID (laughs) and remote work is for me, at least I've like, my working schedule is just not nearly as rigid as it used to be. Like, I think technically I'm supposed to be working nine to five, but I, and I do for the most part, but also if I have, and I like, sometimes I'll be laying in bed, it's like 8 PM I'm watching like love Island. And I'm like, Oh my God, I just have an idea for that project. Why not get up and go work on the project for a little bit. Like just cause 8 PM, if you're feeling it and you're in the zone, like go do it. And then if you're in the middle of the day and maybe it's 2 PM and you're dragging and you're barely getting anything done, maybe it'd be better if you just called it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all about like working. I just think we can get so much more done and feel so much healthier if we work with our like natural flows and states of mind and creativity and stuff. And this rigid, like nine to five sometimes isn't good for that. I, I 100% agree. Like I, yeah, I feel like I hit a wall usually like afternoons, um, yeah. frequently. And then I, like, I feel like I, I also have a surge of creativity, like come 10 o'clock at night, uh, 10 <laughs> or 11 o'clock at night. And just like the juices start flowing again. And that's probably, I don't know if that's like the healthiest thing, but like it, <laughs> I drag and usually I'm very unproductive, um, come mid afternoon, but then like I will, you know, as I'm winding down around nighttime, like things will just start coming again. I'm like, I got to sit down and like start writing ideas or I'll come up to my computer before bed and be like, all right, I got to start mocking up some stuff, some designs (laughs) because like, it's all just coming. I don't want this to leave me. Yeah. Like I can't cause sometimes I'll be like, I'll just do it in the morning. And then in the morning I'll like wake up and be like, I don't really remember what I was thinking last night. And so I'm like, no, I have to do it before I go to bed because this is too good. And so I'll just sit down and like, I'll start sketching stuff and be like, oh yeah, this is awesome. And then in the morning I'll be like, oh yeah, that was awesome. I'm glad (laughs) I, I'm glad I wrote that down because that's good stuff. And then I'll go through and like, you know, finish it up. So 
anyway, yeah. yeah, work with those natural rhythms. I feel like with for sure, yeah. yeah. And then the next day, if you were work, if you like got a lot done because you were feeling it at like eight p.m. or whatever, the next day when you're dragging, you're not going to feel like guilty yeah. about it because you crushed it last night. Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah, yep. awesome. Well, that's that. There you go. That. If no other advice, do do that. Crush it when yeah. you feel when you're feeling the juices. There we flow. go. Exactly. <laughs> what do you think about a four hour work week? I have a coworker that's obsessed with the four hour work week. Her entire mission in life is to get her company to go to a four hour or not four hour, sorry, four day work week. Oh, four day work week. Yeah, um, not four uh, hours. Sorry, four day. Yeah, work I week. had so in my previous role, uh, we had a whole team that would do that. So they would, they okay. had cut out, they cut out Wednesdays. And so they would do two days. Wednesdays. Yeah. And then have like a mid week off and then two days and then have like a weekend and um, they loved it. And so oh. like they were down to the, the four day work week That's with like awesome. a midweek weekend. Which yeah. I haven't heard of anybody taking Wednesday off, Yeah, they, but I think about that and I'm like, that means that every day is either Friday Eve or Friday. Yeah. They, basically, I, which I, that's kind of sick. Yeah. And so they, I think it was really working for them, like to have that midweek break. Um, huh. It seems, I love it. Like get down to the four, the four day week. If you can, I don't, honestly, I feel like our work fits into whatever amount of time that we give it. And that's what I've typically found as well. Like it expands, it, it expands into the time we allot for it. And so like if yeah. we allot less time, then we'll, we tend to just get more done in the time, in the time that we give it. And so, right. yeah, forcing ourselves to just get our work done, like what we need to, um, in less time is probably just less wasteful. So yeah. now if you want to do the four hour work week, I had a friend who was like four he, hour. <laughs> he he did he did the book and like oh this was that's like years. Why I was saying that yeah I'm he like, did he read okay. the Tim Ferriss book. This was oh, okay. This was a long time ago and he was like he had this whole plan where he was just gonna like code away a whole bunch of his work and he was he was oh, really just working automate everything. Yeah he was working towards that. He he'd gotten a whole bunch of his stuff automated and oh my god. This was a long yeah a long time ago. But that's um, funny. Yeah, he had a plan. I don't know how far he got, but uh, <laughs> he. I've read about people doing it, and if you can do it, like more power to you. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I'm just. I'd be happy with just the four days. Yeah. I'll tell you, that would be awesome. Yep. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how many people would be down for Wednesday though. I like see the perks, but also I think people want a long weekend. So yeah. I don't know. I'd be curious. Yeah. Well. Yeah. If you can shave off like the Monday or the Friday or the Friday. We, we used to do a, a Monday, um, like a shave off that Monday. So, mm. cause Friday is like a fun day to be in the office or it used to be so a fun too. day to be in the office. Like this was pre COVID. Yeah. And so we, we didn't want to like do a no in office Friday. Right. And so yeah. we would do Monday, but now that we're all home, like Friday, would seem to make more sense to me. Like yeah. just take the long weekend early. But. I went to the office for the first time in so long uh, yesterday and we had a blast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was not even four hours of working that day, honestly. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> we I, went out to lunch. We we're yep. getting coffees. It was awesome. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. the office the office now is um yeah i was in the office one i've been to the office once in the past two years and i'm going now i work for a company that's fully remote and so oh, okay i will be in the office for a week coming up soon um where we're all getting together but that's oh fun yeah so that'll be good. See, see lots of people that I have never met in person, but yeah. Um, yeah. I like coffee shop working. That's my like happy yeah. medium because working from home, I just, it got old for me after a while. Yeah. I just have a hard time focusing and I'm just like, just not going outside all day. I'm like, this cannot be good for me. <laughs> so now I go to the coffee shop. I like that. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good one coffee shop get out and take a walk take the dogs for a walk that sort of thing yes yeah 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 yes all right well ronnie this has been a really 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 great conversation let me end it with i guess two final questions for you have you okay read or watched anything interesting recently yes so I read The Art of Gathering. We were okay. talking about yeah. that a little earlier before we started recording. That's a book by Priya Parker. And the whole point of the book is basically how to have more intentional gatherings, whether they're work gatherings, um, personal gatherings. Like she talks about everything from dinner parties to conferences, to meetings at work, to weddings. That's like, the, did I already say weddings? Did I said that twice. Um, I got, I got weddings on the brain I'm getting yeah, married. Wedding. So, <laughs> and that's the reason that I got the book is because it was like a gift for planning my wedding, but I love that book. She's like done so many cool, interesting, creative, she's a facilitator. So she basically comes up with all these creative ways to get people to kind of like shed their egos, shed their girl boss personas, their boy boss personas, and just kind of like show up to a meeting more vulnerable and, um, like get the most out of it. So, and it's so cool. So I'm, it like made me want to throw a dinner party. I was like, text Bill, like come over for the dinner party. <laughs> so that's been really cool. And then also I'm like a huge reality TV person. So I've watched like every reality show under the sun lately. I watched the ultimatum. That was wild. Do you watch mm. reality TV? I haven't watched too much reality, reality TV. Oh, okay. now. I'm a reality TV junkie. That's my yeah. like guilty pleasure. So yeah, the ultimatum on Netflix was really good. Now I'm watching temptation Island, okay. awesome. <laughs> which is uh, interesting. Do you watch that show? I haven't seen that one. No, it's terrible. It's the concept is horrible. They take four couples and they break them up and put them on separate islands. So all the guys go to one island and they bring in a bunch of hot single girls. And then all the girls go to another island and they bring in a bunch of hot single guys. And then every day they get to see one clip of their significant other, just one clip from the entire day doing whatever they're not supposed to be doing. Basically, it's terrible. I shouldn't even be watching it, but I do. Nice. You can cut, you can cut all the reality TV stuff if you want to. I was just trying to be honest. <laughs> no, that's good. There uh, you go. The two reality TV show recommendations. Um, yes. We'll definitely, we'll have those in there for sure. All right. Uh, and last question is we like to do a shout out or gripe. Um, so you can pick okay. or both of anything that you have used uh, recently could be app or product or anything that, uh, you've liked okay. or disliked. Okay. Um, Oh, I got it already. Yeah. So this is a like, so my fiance and I have a rental property in Denver and we just did the backyard in it. So we laid down a bunch of like 
fresh sod, mm-hmm. but of course we don't trust the tenants to water it. And when you lay down fresh grass, you have to water it much. It's crazy. And we didn't want to pay for like a sprinkler system. So we have this smart sprinkler. This is the product. It's called the Oto, O-T-O. And it's so cool. It comes with an app. So you like program it when to water your grass and it mounts to your wall. And then you just hook up your hose to it. So it's not even a sprinkler system like out in the yard. It's literally just like a machine mounted to your wall that shoots water into <laughs> onto your lawn and you program it exactly like the area of the lawn where you want it to water and how many times a day. And then it checks the weather forecast. And so on days when it's going to rain, it won't water. Very I nice. love it. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's awesome. It's um, a little like clunky. It's definitely yeah. like a Kickstarter type of product. So the app is a little like you have to like kill the app like three times while you're doing it before it finally works. Like it's not the most perfect product, but the concept is pretty cool and so much cheaper than a sprinkler system. Yeah. 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 That's, that's awesome. Um, have to, have to check that out. That's, that's really cool. We, we have, I have the full, fully fledged, like smart sprinkler system installed at our house. Like I have got like the beehive and it's like fully Uh, automated and the app and smart sprinkler system and everything. Like I'm, I'm fully in it, um, and everything, but that, I love the sound of that. I actually might have to check it out for like the spot watering. Like if I, if I need to do like just a little bit, cause I'm, I love it. I love like automating all of that stuff. So I don't have to like think too much about it. Yeah. Well, you can even do it like on the app. You'll be like, this is my lawn. This is my rose garden. This is my veggies or whatever. And so then you'll be like, water my veggies (laughs) from the wall. It'll like shoot water into your veggie garden. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. The one bad thing though, is that if you have like patio furniture between your wall and the lawn, like it'll definitely get a little bit of a, sure. of a mist. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's all right. Cool. Um, well, Ronnie, this I don't is... have any gripes. Oh, I that... wish I had a gripe. No, that's all, that's all right. You know, we're, we're keeping it super positive here at the end. So yeah. That's... My, actually I do have a gripe. Okay. This is a silly gripe, but, um, hot dogs are one of my favorite foods and Parker and I are doing, are doing this renovation project. So we go to home Depot a lot and I usually get a hot dog <laughs> and Lowe's doesn't have a hot dog stand. So that's my gripe. I think Lowe's needs to get a hot dog stand. Okay. No hot dog stands at Lowe's. Yeah. Do you consider hot dogs a sandwich? Let me just ask. Oh that. no, no. Okay. Do you? I don't have a strong opinion. I'm just curious if, <laughs> If you consider I didn't them think I did either, but the way I said no, I guess I do. Okay, nice. No, not nice. a sandwich. Do you consider a burger a sandwich? Oh boy. Mm, no, no, I'm gonna have to go with no. Like my gut, my gut saying no on that one too. So yeah, your gut's right. Yeah, a burger's not a sandwich. Not a sandwich. I don't think so. Is it? It can't be. No. I. What I, about I, a patty melt? A patty melt. Uh. Again, I, I don't know. That was getting a little more gray area for me. I, my initial reaction was no, but I'm, I don't know. We, we have to start a segment of like, is it a sandwich? And yeah. just like have a whole bunch of earlier in the podcast. We're like, don't take it too seriously. Yeah. And now I see you. You're like really thinking, really I, analyzing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start a list of like, is it a sandwich? And then just put everything that is like controversial. Is it a sandwich or not? And I think a patty melt is a sandwich. Okay. Cause a patty melts like on sandwich bread, but uh burger is on a bun. It is on a bun. 
Yeah. yeah, I think the bun. The bun is where makes it's not it a not sandwich. a sandwich. Yeah. That's, okay. The bun. That's is. just uh, that's just my initial analysis. I yeah. can get back to you with something more in depth if you need. The, okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> the bun might make might be the determining factor. I could I could buy into that. Okay. I'm gonna have to. I'm all right. My afternoon is going to be giving this thought more thought <laughs> as, as to what makes Good. a sandwich official. Good. Maybe you'll get up at 10 p.m. and do some. Uh, yeah design work around that. I, pr- I probably will. This is like serious, like shower thought type yes. stuff is like, what, if, what really makes a sandwich like <laughs> existentially? Like what are sandwiches? Existentially. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Ronnie, this has been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, where can people find out more about you, your podcast, uh, anything else that you do? Oh, definitely. Follow the podcast on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Big Girl Money. Um, And we're also on Instagram at Big Girl Money, Facebook, Big Girl Money, LinkedIn, Big Girl Money. You can send me an email at biggirlmoneypodcast at gmail.com. And then I'm also on LinkedIn, Ronnie, Ronnie Bergner. So if you want to follow me on LinkedIn, but I post most of my stuff through the podcast. So I would say definitely check out all the ways to follow the podcast. I'm even on TikTok with the podcast. So Nice. All right. Not, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a learning experience yeah. posting on TikTok. I'm very good at watching TikToks, posting TikToks I'm working on, but I am on TikTok. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a learning one for me too. So um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ronnie, thanks again. Uh, appreciate it. We'll put all of the links in the show notes as well. And uh, yeah, it was great talking to you. It was great talking to you. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter product thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kaya Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.